I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome to our podcast today, Austin Goolsby, an economist at the University of Chicago who has advised presidents and leading American politicians on economic recovery. Welcome, Professor. Thank you. Let me ask you, you get into office uh, in a new administration in January of 2021. How do you you deal with all the fallout from the pandemic? Well, the answer to that depends critically on do we have control of the infection and the spread of the virus or it's still raging out of control? I always say the first rule of virus economics is that you can't do anything about the economics until you have control of the virus. And we've just been stumbling as a country for week after week and month after month, not doing what virtually every other advanced economy has done, which is get control of the spread of the virus. If we haven't gotten control of the spread of the virus, then the next president and look, I publicly endorsed Vice President Biden. I enjoyed working with him in the, in the administration. I hope it is him. If Joe Biden comes into office in January, we don't have control of the virus. His first priority has got to be all the public health things that you can do to kind of in the technical language, get the R naught value, the reproduction rate of the virus. You got to get it below one for it to be petering out. If you've done that, or let's say we let's say we got on the path that the other countries are on, then I think by January you'd probably be more in a just a conventional stimulus kind of a uh, state of the world where you'd be trying to do things to reignite the economic activity that got squashed in that what was supposed to be a temporary period and has proved to be a little less temporary than we hoped. Right. And, and we haven't been operating from that principle that getting the virus under control is central to the economic recovery and is the prerequisite to the economic recovery. But if we are where I suspect we will be, which is still not having the virus under control, um, that means that there's a whole heck of a lot more economic damage and damage to people's lives, their livelihood, their employment that's occurred in the months prior to the inauguration of a potential new president. So how do you marry, you know, the, the economic needs with, with uh, the, well, the needs of a public that might be as great as, as the Great Depression uh, with the kind of mobilization? Um, you know, the, of course, there are ideas discussed now that are more mainstream in the economic sphere, universal basic income, direct stimulus for citizens. Um, how do you accomplish the goal of, of, of keeping folks well and healthy in, in, in both that, that financial sense and the economic sense to survive? Critically important. I agree with, with the premise of that question 100%. Um, I think first, you got to set priorities I think the priorities got to be individuals and especially low income people and people that are going to get evicted and people that are going to literally run out of food or have the heat turned off and that sort of thing. Um, I think the prioritizing the relief to the states we saw in 2009 
um, even though in the 2009 uh stimulus act that was that was one of the more unpopular politically unpopular parts of the stimulus looking back when they evaluate bang for the buck it was actually critically important and we've when we would have done well to have a lot more of it uh to prevent the states from spiraling into in most most states have a balanced budget uh requirement so when faced with a massive downturn, they have to raise taxes and lay off millions of workers. That's what's happened so far. So that threatens to spiral, spiral the downturn the wrong way. Um, and I think prioritizing, you know, you already know my, my number one thing is prioritize health spending, testing, protective equipment, enforcing masks, mask mandates, getting people to wash their hands, all of the kind of grubby details of a national effort on public health is the most important way to restore the economy. And as you say, there are going to be a lot of people really hurting Great Depression-like conditions if we go for another half year without really addressing the how to get the furnace started again. And I think it, ha it has to be relief. I mean, I know many people are using the phrase stimulus. And in your question, you asked about stimulus. Is this, this isn't stimulus. Stimulus is government spending that you're trying to get the private sector restarted and, and get it growing. This is just relief. I mean, this is, if we don't have control of the virus, I've said before, and, and I think it's the right analogy, it's pretty close to just burning money to stay warm while the furnace is out. And that does work as long as you keep shoveling money in. Uh, and as second you stop shoveling the money in, it starts getting cold again. And that's what, we, look, the CARES Act was a massive piece of legislation in the trillions of dollars. And good on the Congress and good on the president for doing something in short order. The problem is that's kind of the run rate. What we established in the CARES Act is we established a precedent of here's how fast we burn through money. And if you don't get control of the virus, that's about how fast you have to burn through the money and you have to keep coming up with more money. So right. And I mean, it, there was- that, Maybe really, that is universal basic income for yeah. a time. You know, we, yeah. we can talk about whether universal basic income should be a permanent or not, but- at a time when tens of millions of people are out of their out of jobs from no fault of their own because we're in the stiffest recession that we've ever seen that's not that that's a moment for support like universal basic income right and i do want you to expound on that but but first austin can you expound on the lack of of uh, sensible incentives in the CARES Act to ensure that we are on a track where economies grow in a way that is responsive to the fact that a pandemic is an event that is often more than one year, especially when your public health response was as dismal as this administration's was. Um, it, it, you know, do we... Yeah. Go ahead. Look, the only thing I'll say about that is... I don't think that the CARES Act, 
look, the, the CARES Act is a massive collection of things. It's basically four separate bills, any one of which would have been the biggest um, thing in a very long time. There's direct checks to everyone. There's enhanced unemployment insurance for people that lost their jobs. There's PPP money to small business. And there's a massive tranche of lending to big business that pipes through the Fed. And that's and, the area I'm focused on, the, okay. the last area. Yeah. All right. So that's what I was trying to f figure yeah. out among those. That last area, um, I think the Fed has not lent very much of the money. And you saw the Fed admit that, really. I think admit that is the, is the right phrase. In the past week, the Fed announced that they're going to extend the time of that Main Street lending facility for another several months because they said the economy is worse than we thought. But I think the other thing is the take-up rate of that money has been far lower than what they anticipated. And I'm a little afraid that what might be happening is unlike almost any other country that has confronted this, that part of the CARES Act is premised on, let's try to shift what I call the safety net. Let's try to shift safety net spending kind of onto the business sector by having them take out loans uh, to pay off the costs and damages. A lot of other countries have taken the approach that they're gonna make them grants and subsidies and, and it's just relief spending. If you ask the businesses to borrow money to pay off, you know, whatever it is, let's say you got $50,000 a month of rent, um, one approach is to say the government's gonna help you with your rent, a different approach might be there's going to be a eviction moratorium. A third approach is to say the government will lend you money. And then when the pandemic is over, you'll owe the back rent. You're going to use these loans to pay that rent. And then when the pandemic's over, you're going to owe the government back money for all the rent that accumulated on this whole time. That leaves the cost of the of the of the rescue of the survival that shifts a cost back onto the businesses themselves and i think that's one reason that companies are not rushing forward to take the money is there are a bunch of companies debating maybe we should just shut down um and that kind of goes to your point of if this thing is going to last longer in the United States than anywhere else, and then anyone anticipated, then a bunch of the centerpieces of the CARES Act are basically obsolete and, and do not work. And We're talking about major travel industry, probably. Yeah, you know, take, take cruise lines, you know. The cruise lines, demand for going on a cruise is way down. I'm not saying it's zero. I guess some people signed up. But until there is a vaccine or a pretty clear way to stop the spread of the virus, demand for cruise lines is way down. So you got to ask the question, if the government gives the cruise lines a big loan, are they going to just keep borrowing money to 
stay afloat while this is happening? Or are they going to shut down? And then once there's a vaccine kind of reopen coming through bankruptcy, um, but the longer this goes, the more mm-hmm. likely it is that a bunch of companies are going to go bankrupt. Right. And, and I wouldn't even necessarily narrow cast it to cruise lines, but it, this pandemic did afford an opportunity to airline industry, for instance, to reimagine what the airlines ought to look like to be equitable to people, you know, to have an experience that is going to be healthy and protect their, their lives in the future but we know that the cost of doing business in, in this country has, has given folks an unfair shake in a lot of respects. And, you know, it's just not clear that that kind of creative imagination is going on, I guess, because these companies are, are like you're suggesting, determining if they, can, if they can even survive. But you would like to think that they could imagine with these new loans um, how, how, they can, how they can actually be more equitable in the future. It's kind of interesting. Like, what what do you, if they did it in a in a kind of the in principle scenario, in principle, what would they what would they do? Do you think? Well, with respect to airlines, you know, a number of them were not heeding the basic policy of keeping a middle seat open. But if you were to actually envision what the airline industry should look like in an advanced, innovative. 21st century economy in 2020, I would think many consumers of of the airlines, passengers of the airlines would think, you know, it should, it should be an experience where, you know, you can be, you can buy a coach seat and have a, have an experience that's, you know, giving you enough space that you can actually like breathe. And, you know, I mean, but, but, you know, there was an opportunity to be imaginative from some yes. of these companies. Look, I agree with that. You never want to, uh, you never want to get put yourself in the position that you're going to defend the 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 PR strategy of the airlines. I mean, they they've made it a multi-decade effort to uh, to to squeeze everybody in every possible way. Um, that said, I do think that if the state of the world for the airline business is going to be one in which they have to have as low a density on the planes as it feels like they need, I do think the prices are going to go up. And so the, this question of how to be more equitable, I think is going to, they're going to be in a tough spot on that because basically if, you, if the plane can be only half full, um, and it, you know, the gas costs the same amount and the food costs the same amount. Um, you got to think that the prices are going to have to be higher than what they this leads to. This leads to this, this next question, which is connected, I think, to the universal basic income and the Wall Street reality, which is so disconnected from, from Main Street right now. So is it because of the fact that those loans were secured and are sort of safely and potentially in the possession of these major companies that there we're at this kind of impasse where the survival of those companies, uh, you know, and if, if it doesn't happen may very well lead to a, a um, rejiggering in the markets that, that more accurately reflects where we are because there has been this disconnect of how the stock market has performed while people are out of work and industries are not, you know, in the optimal condition that they 
that they should be or would be. Yeah, look, look, that's the polite way to say it. I mean, we had we had that one month where we lost several decades worth of jobs in a 30-day period. 21 million jobs lost in a single month. By far the worst day in the history of the American job market. And the stock market went up that day. And so it was people are looking and saying, what in the world is going on? And the only thing I could think, look, it basically has to be one of three things. Either interest rates are low, and you know, in, in theory, the value of a stock should be the sum total of all the future profits of the company discounted at the rate of interest. So when the interest rate is low, the future counts for a lot. And maybe the, the, the market's positive um, recovery or you know, not, not decline as much as the real economy is a sign that the, that the investors believe this is going to be shorter lived than, than I do. Uh, that would be great. You know, if they, if you thought, Hey, within five months, this whole thing will be turned around. The long run prospects of profitability for big companies in America has not really changed. Therefore, the market value is not going to change. Fine. That'd be one explanation. A second explanation could be that maybe they view the lending facilities or what the Fed has done or the fiscal rescues that they're going to receive from the administration or something are big enough to cover what losses they think they're going to get. Maybe it's that. Or three, maybe they're nuts. Maybe they're just way more optimistic and just want the market to be going and that it's not tied to the fundamentals. And I kind of bounce back and forth between those three. I don't know which one it is, but it kind of has to be one of them. There may be a certain event that captures the fact that it's not going to be a five, six month affair, that this is years, um, that would then trigger the kind of run on the banks or the, the, the stuff of, of depressions, which is usually the market tanking and not, you know, staying at kind of status quo or going up. Um, how, how do you gameplay that? Especially when like the way things are now, there are people who are going to need universal basic income as it is now with the market where it is now. Yeah. You got a, you got a couple of complex issues intertwined in that, in that question. I would say looking at the past for sure, individual events can happen. Sometimes you can't even see what the event was that suddenly confidence disappears. The market plunges. So definitely that could happen. And if they came back and they announced, oh, all of those vaccines that we said were very promising, actually on further examination, they don't work. You know, something like that could easily trigger a, a major sell-off in, in the market. The second part of the question, though, was, does that kind of trigger a depression and bank runs and, and the like? That's not, that's not as directly tied as you might think. For sure that happened in 1929, but it happened kind of slowly. You have the stock market crash in 1929, conditions get worse and worse, the financial system falls apart. By 1932, 
you're deep in the bank runs and the depression is, is well underway. 1932 is kind of the worst year of the depression, but that's sort of three years in. Um, the thing, of, the economy can recover without the stock market having a banner year. I mean, we could have, we could have stock market losses. It could be a bad time to be an equity investor, but that doesn't, that's not the same thing as the depression. To get to a depression style event, I think you need the collapse of the financial system and the financial system would be threatened 2008 style if the non-performing loan, if, if suddenly you let millions of companies start to go under, then the, all the hard earned traction that we got from the great recession and the financial crisis to today, which prevented us from starting off the way we did in 2008, 2009, because the banks have more capital and they're in a stronger position than they were at the collapse of the housing bubble. All of that will be erased. If the loans that they have out start defaulting because the businesses go under, we would, that will put us right knocking at the door of another financial crisis. I suspect, but, but, there's, but there's multiple steps. Yeah. That's all right. I'm going to say. There's right. multiple steps that are observable between now and then. So I don't yeah. think that we would have a depression-like event unless we continue to screw things up. Right. And I suppose you think that the Biden campaign and ultimately a, a potential transition and new president would have to be game playing these various scenarios. But one yes. scenario that's not really a scenario, but just a reality is that whether the stock market is in a strong position or not, and, and I thought that this might be relevant to the universal basic income point, to have a systemic change requiring all these jobs to be on pause um, or to, to not exist in the way they did pre-pandemic. Is the market at all related to whether we're able to achieve the policy of something like a universal basic income? I think only, only vaguely, only loosely is it tied to that. That's kind of the, it goes under the broader question of, is the stock market tied to the real economy? And it is, but it's certainly not on a daily basis. And the, the question that will face the stock market, it's kind of interesting. It's not ironic. I, I've, as I've gotten older, I continue to have a hole in my knowledge base of what is truly ironic and what is not. I do not think that this is ironic. I think this is an interesting coincidence that the same discussion that we were having in 2007 and 2006, when Wall Street was booming, the housing bubble was popping and a bunch of ordinary Americans are getting foreclosed on and thrown out of their homes. The recession is beginning, but the stock market's still pumping like crazy. And they're like, yes, we can, we don't need those people. We don't, you know, if they, if they go under and lose their homes, that's their problem. And I remember then candidate Obama early in the campaign going to give a speech at, at NASDAQ and saying to Wall Street, your fate is tied to the middle class in this country. And 
your, your efforts to kind of put yourself on an island will not work. You might be on an island, but in the economy, there are no islands. We're all in this together. And if we, if we don't strengthen and protect the middle class, ultimately it is going to come back to you. People are not going to be able to make their mortgage payments. And no truer thing was said for one of the root causes of that crisis. I think there is an interesting parallel to, to right now and to today where the market is, is booming or you know, is at least not going down as much as the real economy. And you get the sense that the investors, they're looking and you know, there's 30 million people out of, out of work and we're in a tough spot, as tough as anyone alive has seen. And you get the sense that they're like, well, that's those people's problem. Uh, but it, it's not just those people's problem. You know, as, right. as, like the African proverb says, you should take no comfort from the fact that my half of the boat is sinking. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think, I think the premise of your question is quite accurate. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And, and I suppose it's not just as a final point, a, an economic or mathematical equation as much as where will the political will derive from to make mm. universal basic income right. reality. And, where the market is now and maybe an acknowledgement of the strife in communities and the pandemic plague zip codes, which often correspond with low income racial minorities in this country, you know, that if, if there's not the political will to recognize this disconnect now, if the market collapses, but there's still wealth hoarded by many, many people, but they fear that that wealth will no longer be theirs, then I don't know if you'll ever have the political will to accomplish something like universal. I see. Yeah, that's kind of a dark, dark version of the scenario. Uh, but I see, I see your point. I will say that for the long term, I haven't been as big of a fan on universal basic income as a permanent policy. I would say I'm, I'm more in favor of a more robust safety net. Um, I think your point that if people are not talking about big policy changes, structural changes now, when would they ever be talking about structural changes? I totally agree with that. And I would just start us with the, perhaps the centerpiece of the safety net these days, which is healthcare, where we're going to have 20, 30 million people lose their jobs. We have employer-sponsored health care for the most part in this country. So you've literally had five to eight million people lose their health insurance in the middle of a pandemic. And we're not actually talking about substantial changes to the health system. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well said, Austin Goolsby an advisor to President Obama and the previous administration on economic matters and a professor at the University of Chicago. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, good fun. Great talking to you.